You are now entering the fact zone. I miss the fact zone. It's a good zone. It's one of my top zones. Top top five zones, for it's, sure. It's a top zone. I mean, I would say there are some great Sonic the Hedgehog zones. The Green Hill Zone. Green Hill Zone. Yeah. Is a classic. You know, Carnival Night Zone. Carnival Night Zone, also a classic. I like Marble Zone. There's some good oh, zones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Fact Zone, top five for sure. Fact Zone, top, top five. So you know how crabs are not a single like genetic group, but actually a different species that convergently evolved to be crab-like? I don't even know what that means. Okay, all right. So prefact. <laughs> I thought I think of that. I think of this as just like something that has been so fun facted out on the internet that no, maybe I'm excited. Okay, I missed so it. prefact. You think of crabs, or a lot of I used to, and a lot of people by default think of crabs as like a genetic group, like in the way that if you think of like the taxonomy of of animals, there, there's like a category. Yeah, is chicken a genetic group? I mean, it, yeah, and like the parent genetic group would be like fowl or whatever. Right. And like the, okay. the it's it's uh, genetic siblings and cousins, right? The things that are directly evolved from or evolved from similar. Right. So, are we talking about like phylums here and things? Yeah, we're talking about uh, or the, genuses. Yeah, exactly. The 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 phylogenetic tree of life and as it evolved and how yeah. related different species are to one another is what we're talking there's about. there's so many different classification types yes and it to my brain finds it fascinating mm. which things how things evolved what things evolved from what things what things are are actually closely related and what things are actually more distantly related than you would think that's something i find interesting yeah, I find it. Yeah, I like this. It's like the way that, you know, crocodiles lived with the dinosaurs. Right. Yeah. Which is cool. You were as opposed to being like, oh, well, dinosaurs went away and then we got like modern lizards. And then that was one of those modern lizards. But they're actually one of the old lizards. Is no, still no. Around. Crocodiles were there then. And you can kind of see once you know that you can kind of see it looking at them. Yeah, they're pretty dinosaur-y. So yeah. crabs, you a lot of people would by default think like okay well you have a pretty good idea of what a crab is and so you think well they're probably really closely related things that crabbiness evolved at one point and then it varied itself yeah a bunch of crabby crabby people and then or crabby things and then but crab is not a single genetic group but actually a strategy uh that is evolutionarily advantaged and so uh a lot of uh hard-shelled creatures over bajillion years that's the scientific quantity of years uh, this is not the fact i prepared this is just like preambling on crabs but uh a lot of different creatures evolved towards being crab-like because it was beneficial to them um and so we have these various things get that get referred to as crabs like horseshoe crabs and hermit crabs and uh king crabs and all these different kinds of crabs but they're not part of the same they're from different things there's a variety of different different ancestral paths that they came from that were of quite different forms huh. that evolved similarly into this body pattern where you have the, yeah. the two the kind of claws up front and the, the sort of they're all crustaceans right uh yeah i believe they're all crustaceans but they're like okay, i'm gonna get you in trouble here you're gonna say something you don't know the answer to and then it's gonna be a black panther i believe they're again, all but... crustaceans um okay. but they're but the ancestors of the different crabs looked different and then they as opposed to there being like right, one og crab that they all forked off from. to be similar for reasons right they've all to be similar because it's an advantageous thing to be crabby yeah if you're by the way horseshoe crabs are not crabs um that well that's see now you're getting me into even further trouble i'm not gonna not even comment on that because i did not prepare anything about crabs i just took it as uh the preamble fact that okay this is an interesting thing that can happen that you have something that people yeah, think of as being related but actually it's a it's a strategy that evolution finds rather than a uh branch on the tree of life well just 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 as an aside and again no one's holding you responsible for this because you were very clear good job but Mm. apparently because i was curious about what you're saying so i was like just looking up the first crab you mentioned to just Mm. see what the classification chart would look like and it happened to be horseshoe crabs and it says that despite their name they are not true crabs or crustaceans they are chelicerates most closely related to arachnids okay so even more 
like the idea that things that we talk about as being crabs aren't even all crustaceans is an even more yeah they look so crabby but they're not even evidence of this idea that a crab is a strategy and not uh, and not a yeah a type of animal in the in the way that we would think of evolutionarily yeah um so if that is surprising to you then i have a even bigger mind blow or at least it blew my mind in the last couple of weeks when i when i learned this fun fact trees are also not a genetic group wait what tree is a strategy that various types of plants employ and other plants don't employ huh i get i i mean i guess that makes sense i definitely never would have thought about that way in my mind if it was like would have blown plato's mind yeah right like the the uh, ancestral uh, natural philosophers trying to make sense of the platonic platonic ideal of a tree it turns out it's not even it doesn't even exist because there are no trees right there i mean there there's trees in it like it's fairly easy for botanists to come to agreement that an oak tree and an elm tree and a maple tree are all trees and that then right. we all know what a tree is right and we could sort of say okay it's like a you know a uh, uh, plant that has a a trunk with wood surrounding it uh and it grows maybe uh vertically and you know you can can fairly easily come up with an agreement that you have 10 out of 10 people would all agree yeah okay that defines a tree and things that aren't that aren't trees but this is that thing where like it's really easy we all know it this is like the we know when we see a thing like i can give you all these different criteria but it it can't actually form a coherent like there's going to be so many exceptions yeah and so this came from a an awesome article by uh i believe botanist uh, named Georgia Ray, and she wrote this awesome article, which I'll link to because it has a whole bunch of other like yeah, examples and fun stuff. So I'll cool. put that in the show notes. Um, but from that article, I, you get uh, some interesting like sub fun facts, like the common ancestor of a maple tree and an elm tree wasn't a tree. What? It was a. It was just like a herbaceous plant. Okay. The, All com- right. the it wasn't common a chicken. An- it wasn't a chicken. It was a. It was just like a soft plant, right? Yeah. Uh, but the common ancestor of a stinging nettle and a strawberry plant was a tree. And then the strawberry plant stopped being a tree type situation. The strawberry stant plant and the stinging nettle both stopped being a tree. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna link you to a graph that th- this botanist put together, which I find hilarious and fascinating. And I'll also put it in there and I'll send it to you. I like things that are hilarious and fascinating. What this is, is they've gone and graphed out uh, a number of common or like interesting plants that you might uh, think of various trees, things, various things that are trees are not trees, or as they've categorized things that are kind of a tree. I like, yeah, definitely not a tree, definitely a tree, kind of a tree. Yeah. So like, uh, you know, you could say a maple, a maple is definitely a tree uh, and an oak is definitely a tree uh, and uh, ivy is definitely not a tree and carrots are definitely not a tree. Uh, And then roses are like kind of a tree they're a little they've got this kind of like shrubby woody vine but they're not a tree in the way that we think of a tree is like a, a central trunk but either like rose bush is more like a tree than uh, an I- ivy is or whatever hmm. right or a kid than yeah, a carrot, yeah, yeah. right um and so in my mind i if you would ask me to be like okay we'll draw the genetic family of plants and you know sort all these things i would have been like oh okay well probably at some point trees forked off and then there's right. all these different kinds of trees and then you know the vegetables maybe forked off and they'll these kind of vegetables would you know they would probably be related right it was like it's not like that even a little bit um as things evolve as plants evolve their ancestors or their descendants um will express this tree strategy or not just adaptively depending on their environment or how they're evolving or the situation that they're evolving into yeah um so if if you will allow me to return to a uh, long-standing fun fact corner, the mustard plants corner, <laughs> which is, I, I think, okay. the third or fourth time that we've talked about this uh, category, the plant genus, which is the genus is called Brassica, um, but it's yeah. the, the mustard plants family, which is cabbage, broccoli, turnips, canola, radishes, Brussels sprouts, and all of that kind You're, of stuff. When you say we, you, you do mean you, but it's still you, very true. The two true. of us equally dis- frequently discuss uh-huh, this yeah. <laughs> animal logical you know because we're both equally uh fascinated with with and and (laughs) genetic equal rate definitely (laughs) 
<laughs> what's evolved from what and what's yeah. related to what. Um, and so those are all closely related. Like they would all branch together very closely on, on the on the tree. Um, but what's not in that list is lettuce, right? Like cabbage is and lettuce are obviously very similar in terms of we look at a cabbage and look at lettuce. Yeah, and, and definitely not a tree on here. Neither of them are trees for sure. Yeah. Um, and like there's, you know, they're similar enough that people would maybe use recipes where like you oh you could use lettuce or cabbage or you'd modify yeah, but they're a not bit. on the same part no um uh, cabbage and lettuce are far more distantly related than yeah. cabbage and oak trees yeah which is really weird <laughs> you're like oh like cabbage <laughs> oak tree how similar actually pretty close you know in the scheme of things a maple tree as well it looks like yeah yeah, but lettuce is just like way off, much closer to uh, holly trees or Brazil nut trees. I mean, cl- clearly, yeah. yeah. Um, it's it's very funny to me in a way that you, I'm sure, do not know and did not plan that you chose to present this fact today, hmm. uh, and that is because uh, on the day we're recording this, uh, tomorrow is uh, the Jewish holiday of Tubishvat. Okay, and Tubishvat is the New Year's for trees. <laughs> All right. So it's just really funny. And in fact, uh, a friend of mine sent me a graph the other day mm-hmm. of um, all of the Jewish holidays and then into four uh, categories, similar, you might say, to a um, phylum or genus characterization. Mm-hmm. And the four characters, the four um, categories of, of Jewish holidays are they tried to kill us, we're alive, <laughs> let's eat, and trees mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and 37% of Jewish holidays fall into trees. Yeah. I was fairly familiar with the first three categories, but I was less familiar with the tree category. So that's, that's what I'm know. talking about. Yeah. Tubishva. They maybe don't get as much PR as the other ones. Yeah. At some point I'll, I'll talk more about the Jewish new year situation. Cause it's kind of interesting, but yeah. yeah. New year of trees tomorrow. So very appropriate time for this topic. Yeah. Excellent. Um, yeah. so I just, I found that fascinating. I'll link up this article, which is just like written in a fun way and also has this like interesting visualizations and stuff. Um, But if you, like me, find it interesting what evolved from what and when things uh, don't evolve the way you think they would, um, then uh, then this will be interesting to you. The the whole thing in the she writes about this in the article, um, but the whole thing makes more sense or like is less surprising when you think about the fact that all plants start as a herbaceous plant like if you think of like a little tree sprout it's just mm. like a green sprout it doesn't have any wood on it at first yeah yeah, yeah. it doesn't look tree like and then if it evolve if it, if it grows far enough along it'll start making bark but you can easily imagine a small genetic variation that would make it like to just not get big enough or not get far enough in its process yeah or would have like spikes or something else there'd be some other way Right. So like bark is a thing that trees, uh, it's a strategy that, that they employ rather than like a fundamental, um, sort of branch, uh, uh, on the tree of life. So yeah, yeah, that it's a weird miss. It's a, uh, it's an overuse of tree to mean two different things here. It can be a little confusing, but I agree with you. That is fascinating. Oh yeah. I'm saying the tree of life. I should just not, I should have. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably confusing things. Confusing, but. but yes, this is very interesting. Thank you for sharing this. I'm going to be staring at this tree scale for uh, this <laughs> tree of trees. Verified. This this says in the legend, scientifically verified by me looking at a picture and going, eh, that sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is uh, <clears throat> this is from a botanist, and so they know so much more about this stuff than me that I'm basically just like delegating to them the correctness or incorrectness of, of the facts. So you can go and like, you know, I'm v- being very uh, straight up about my reference. Right, here. but you didn't make this graph. I did not make so, this graph. Yeah, whatever. It's a um, and it would look uh, better if you did for one thing. I assume it's a fairly large uh, graph. I assume that there's at least one or two things that like if you were to go into get a team of scientists to try and verify, oh, well, actually, this is not quite the way it's supposed to be. But the fundamental idea. Uh, that trees yes. are not a branch is, yeah. is uh, yeah. sound. Trees, not a branch. Again, very funny mixed metaphors. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you very, <laughs> thank you very much. That was really, that's really fascinating, and I look forward to reading that article. So once again, visiting Mustard Plants Corner. I mean, really, the most common corner around here. I think after Scheme Corner. Yeah, I mean, that's really that was forever number one. It Scheme Corner is not even a corner. It's like multiple walls of the room. At this yeah, point. it's a very big segment at this point. Yeah. So uh, here's a fun fact for you that has literally nothing to do with trees. I'll try and find a connection. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, yeah, actually you could. I I already see what it is. All (laughs) right. So 
I so here's I a closely my, related fun fact. Yeah, here's fun fact: trees. Are, <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be amazing. So, fun fact: math can be extremely counterintuitive. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what our bar for the fact being surprising is, but I would say, like, <laughs> I, if anyone, maybe you had a different journey through mathematics, but no, no, no once no. I got to the, the, calculus, yeah. uh, I was like, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. But in this case, I I wanted to talk through two examples of that. Okay. And I'll admit, I just didn't have a good fact to tie it together. You want to share these facts, but you didn't have a, you didn't have a snappy, witty intro. I didn't. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't happen. But the facts I'm sure are sound. Yeah. So are you familiar with the Monty Hall problem? Yeah, this is the, there's three doors. Yeah, well, I'll, yes. yes. So um, you are somewhat familiar. That's great. So I wanted to talk this through because I find this fascinating and it is, uh, and, and I have a little like fun story about it as well but like i find that it's just so fascinating how counterintuitive this is to well, folks. the monte hall problem i love because i've had it explained to me three or four separate times and each time i'm like oh yeah, yeah i i have had this explained to me so i now understand it but then i realize if i try to explain it myself and why it works i still can't explain it because my, <laughs> it just kind of slides off my brain like i understand it and then it just, my brain's like, eh, I don't think this makes sense. I'm just going to not record these details. Yes. Yeah. So this is, this is the problem. This is exactly what I'm talking about. It's counterintuitive. So uh, the Money Hall program, the Money Hall problem is named that because it's loosely based on a television game show from way before our time called um, Let's Make a Deal. And I believe the host's name was Monty Hall. And the problem goes like this. And I, I, I've, I'll link the article that I got this from because I just really like this uh, telling of it. So imagine that you're on a television game show and the host presents you with three closed doors. Behind one of them sits a sparkling brand new Lincoln Continental. Imagine. Imagine (laughs) that. Behind the other two are smelly old goats, Mm -hmm. which apparently is what was actually on the show, which is hilarious. I think I've seen a photo of the goats. So the host implores you to pick a door and you select door number one. Then the host, who's well aware of what's going on behind the scenes, opens door number three, revealing one of the goats. Now he says, turning towards you, do you want to keep door number one or do you want to switch to door number two? And for the purpose of this question, we we have to do this in a very mathematical, theoretical fashion, because on the actual game show, as Monty Hall himself has had, had said in interviews, he was also using psychological trickery on people. Mm, trying to get them to... Yeah, he would offer you money. He knew which way, whether you'd pick correctly. Like, it was a lot of more complicated games to it and but that the problem as exactly stated mathematically statistically which choice is more likely to get you the car keeping your original door or switching to the new door and because you've heard this problem before you know the correct answer is you're supposed to switch you're supposed to switch but i but when i'm when i'm asked to explain why i'm like well it's because well because he showed the go which means that the one you when you pick it was a one in three when you picked the it's one and three when you pick the first one, and then the other one is one and two for reasons, which is better. But it's like trying to, like, like it just is so unintuitive that I never can confidently explain why it's true. <laughs> so yeah, you're close though. You're actually close. So um, I think the most common intuit intuitive answer is that it uh, it doesn't make a difference, right? Because it, the, the choice is 50-50, yeah, it, right? Yeah. It's to look at the current situation and say, oh, I'm only going to consider my current odds. There's only two doors left, and I picked one of them already, so that has a 50% chance of being right. The other one has a 50% chance of being right, so it doesn't matter. I'll, and I think people have a natural psychological tendency to just keep whatever door they picked already mm-hmm. because it feels like their door, right? They're now, they're now uh, uh, attached to it, but it's wrong, and... The, the reason is because you, you were pretty close, actually, with what you said. It, it's only slightly off, and that is that the original door you chose has a one in three chance of being correct, and the door you could switch to has a two in three chance of being correct. Right, because they couldn't possibly be one in three and one in two, because that doesn't add up to 100%. <laughs> and there is a car slot. There's a Lincoln Continental somewhere. The, yeah, the reason is because you already know that the third door isn't it. Mm-hmm. So the when you're choosing the when you chose initially, you had a one in three chance of being right. That makes obvious sense to everyone, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like there's three doors, you picked one. But once he reveals the third door, the final remaining door, you know it's not behind door number three. Mm-hmm. So you already know that that your door is better than that door, and you know that it's not. It might be 
behind the door you'd switch to. So that's the two out of three. And I think that it's it's really hard for people to grasp it. It's it it sort of just is so counterintuitive. One thing I find very helpful is to say, okay, I get that. Imagine that there's instead of three doors, which I think is and this ties into the second problem like this I have for you today that these problems are specifically designed in a way that is that that is sort of almost intended like they're set up in a way that is confusing to you yeah I mean that's why they run the game show that way <laughs> that's right so the 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 way that I like to think about it is to say okay but what if there were a hundred doors okay and you pick door number one mm-hmm. and then he says and then he opens doors three through a hundred so he opens 98 of the doors right they all have goats behind them uh-huh. And there's only one, it's either the door you picked or you this picked. one other one he just happened to suspiciously choose not to open. Right. Now, if we are dealing with the problem, yes, if this is, if you're worried about the psychology of a game show, then yes, you would say, well, why would he suspiciously and da da da? But mathematically speaking, the door you originally chose had a one in 100 chance of being correct. Yeah. And the door you now choose has a 90, 99 in 100. 90, 90, yeah, 99 out of 100. And that's more intuitive. I think more people would get it. Like, it would be, like, kind of obvious, I think, to most people. Yeah, it's like, oh. Because I almost certainly didn't pick the right door. And he's gone and just opened a whole bunch of other that's doors. Right. Like, that obviously is not opening the car door, so. That's right. So, it's like. You know, and if you if that's not doesn't work, imagine a million doors yeah, where yeah. he leaves. Honestly, even just with so. ten doors or twenty doors, I think most people would get yeah, it. Intuitively. But at three is where it's like, oh, but now there's two doors. What's the big deal? And it's exactly designed that way. So, um, so I have known about this problem for quite a long time, and I find it fascinating and like to talk about it. But I specifically am linking to an article, uh, the title of which is "The Time Everyone Corrected in Quotes the World's Smartest Woman." Okay. And so this is apparently a story that in it, that there, there's this woman whose name is Marilyn Von Savant, Marilyn, Marilyn Vos Savant. Like her name is Savant and she's a Savant. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. It's fairly uh, unlikely. And she, I know. And her, she, she was for a long time, the Guinness Book of World Records, world's highest IQ. Okay. Until they retired that category because they were like, what does this even mean? Yeah. Which is it's true. A kind of a weird, a weird thing to try yeah, and measure. But, yeah. but the idea is she's very, very smart. Mm. And she she wrote for a magazine, maybe she still does, called Parade. I don't even know if they exist anymore. And she wrote like a, a question, you know, a, a yeah, a column. Ask Marilyn column. Yeah, yeah. And uh, at one point she wrote about the Monty Hall problem. Someone wrote in and asked her what the probability was. Right. And she explained it correctly. She answered correctly, yes. And then got. And then a bunch of unactually. 10,000 letters uh-huh. from. Reply guys. Yes men with phds mm-hmm. wrote her and told her how, that she was an idiot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and it's like right on the tin it's like this person is pretty smart but yeah. no no they just couldn't help that I, I imagine that contributed to the like oh i can show i can show how i'm even smarter than this person no yeah no, so she had to write multiple follow-up columns breaking down exactly why including simulating it out and there's actually in this article a cool chart of like if you play out all of the game's probability possibilities like the matrix of that and mm-hmm. why it's true did she get sassy um, with the reply guys i hope so <laughs> i don't know if she did but she she did get uh she did get the very rarest of things which is um people writing her back especially the one who was the jerkiest and apologizing oh this is before the internet that doesn't happen anymore <laughs> no that's <laughs> no he said he said after removing my foot from my mouth i'm now eating humble pie Mm, that's a pretty good response yeah yeah yeah. so i I just thought that was i don't know fascinating that even this is so unintuitive that even you know ostensibly very smart people get it wrong and get it wrong passionately yeah i mean like i feel like that's a bunch of guys who think they're smart trying to correct a woman who's posted something is like maybe not necessarily fully evident that it's so counterintuitive and maybe is also just a, a thing that happens when people yeah, say things. I mean, but yeah. yes, it is. It is probably I can imagine it'd be particularly bad with something as counterintuitive. Yeah, I mean, as, this. as I said, she had to write like three columns after that explaining why. And even at the end of that. At least one man said, I still think you're wrong. There is such a thing as female logic, which is, you know, terrible and awful. And you You can't see my facial expression right now, but (laughs) I can imagine. it. So uh, here's the second one. Have you ever heard of the potato problem? Uh, No, I don't. Doesn't sound familiar. 
great. So we'll see how this goes. So I lo- nothing there's I love three more potatoes. than put- putting you on the spot. Yeah, there's three potatoes and you <laughs> you want to eat one. No. So I should mention that this was originally shared with me by my brother-in-law. And I will confess up front that until I read the reasoning and understood it, I, I struggled with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You were skeptical. You were wanting to um, actually him. No, no. I just, it, you'll see what I mean. Okay. In a second. okay. So the problem goes like this. It said that potatoes are 99% water and 1% potato. Okay. Mm, I'm already skeptical, okay. but okay. It, it's a math problem. You don't, it doesn't matter if it's true. Or okay. Not. So say you take a bunch of potatoes, like a hundred pounds of potatoes. Okay. And you set them out on your back porch to dry out. Okay. As they begin to dry out, the water starts to evaporate. Okay. After a while, enough water has evaporated, so the potatoes are now 98% water. Okay. If you were to weigh those potatoes at that moment, when they get to 98% water, how much would they weigh? So if they're 98% water, they're 2% potato, how much would they weigh? 98% water, 2% potato. So it seems like they would have to weigh 99 or 98% water with a 2% potato, so then there's twice as much potato as proportion. So it's either 50 pounds or 98 pounds. <laughs> but I don't know which one. I'd have to think about it. I'd have to sketch it out a little bit more. <laughs> that you did very well. I, at least one of those was correct? <laughs> uh, at least one of those is correct, and I'm very impressed, actually. So the answer is 50 pounds. Okay. And that, and it's, it's very counterintuitive because of the specific numbers chosen. If you chose different numbers, and I've done this exercise with people, if you choose different numbers, it's much more obvious. It's because the 100 and 100 is tricking your brain. That's right. When it, you're like, oh, well, it's 99, so there's one, so then one pound, and then you, don't, you just don't think about it, right? So when it went from 99 to 98% water, the percent that the solid potato represents, as you pointed out, doubles from one to two. Mm-hmm. In order for that doubling to happen, the water portion has to be halved. And in a simpler sense, one is 1% of 100. What is one 2% of? 50. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, because the, the potato mass doesn't change. There's just as much potato. So if it's 98% water, but because it goes from 99 to 98. It seems like it's like, a small change. Yeah, if I said it like it, it dried out to like 70% water, you know, there's like any other phrasing of this question I think would be much, much um, harder to to much harder to like confuse people with it's really that specifics of like 100 and 100 and 99 to 98 and one percent and all that kind of stuff but yeah it's it because you you have to think okay uh it the the one percent of potato the one pound of potatoes is now nine is now two percent of the total weight mm-hmm. and what is the total weight that makes that true but because it goes from 98 99 98 you're like oh only one percent evaporated but that's not true mm-hmm. <laughs> only only one percent of because because also you're thinking that you're still thinking in terms of the hundred so you're going like, oh, there's still 100 and it just went down by one. But no, I, what I'm actually telling you is the initial state and the final state, but I'm not telling you anything about how it got there. Yeah. Right. So what I find extra cool is that this actually is still true even if the change is super small. So if you had 100 pounds of potatoes and 99.999% was water mm-hmm. and you let it dry out until it was 99.998% water, then it would still be 50 pounds. Right. It's lost a huge amount. Yeah. It's lost a huge amount. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's like anything at the extremes, like when you get to 99.9% of something and then ratios and stuff like that, it becomes unintuitive because our brains don't think that way. We don't think about numbers that way. Yeah, nothing about this, you know, is uh, is intuitive to people. And that's my point. It's 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 just like everything about it is like set, but it's such a, it's cool. It's just a cool way to phrase it. It's like you have to really think about it because if it's like, oh, well, it was 20 pounds, then it lost, you know, I forget what it did, but I, I created like alternate versions of it for for um, for my wife when I was explaining it to her. And she was like, oh, OK, then it's obvious. It's much more clear when it's it's much more obvious when when you when you do it, not with these sort of magic numbers, as it were. And that's true for both of these. Like both of them are things that become intuitive when you consider them in these sort of edge case ways, phrasings that kind of get your brain out of thinking about it in the correct way right that's right three doors and 100 pounds it's it's intentionally leading you to frailties of human perception and the you know and and that's why i said that's why i said it originally that it's counterintuitive because the sort of you know salt of the earth farmer's almanac version or whatever 
is like very clear, but the whole thing is set up so that that's so that you want to go that direction. Yeah, I find I find it kind of like sometimes I'll I'm reading about how to do job interviews, like how to interview uh, people. Um, Mm -hmm. I I've gotten this sense over the last however many years that brain teaser trick question type questions have fallen out of favor very much so. Um, Whereas like back in the day when I was like an interviewee instead of interviewer, I think they were more common, but I I never actually ended up doing a job interview that I can remember that had a substantial number, maybe just one, uh, just as an offhand one, but that had like a substantial amount of these. And I sometimes wonder like how back in the day I would have done with these because Mm. I, I don't, you know, I'm not the world's, I'm not nearly as smart as the world's smartest woman in terms of these IQ like, yeah. you know, things, but I talk through, like, as I just there, I talk through things, um, which I think come in an interview comes across to some interviewers comes across as like helpful. It's like, okay, I can see how this person is at least thinking about this and they're grabbing onto it. Um, but I'm not as smart as the person who can just like, cause like my brother, um, who is not in software at all. He now actually works, works in software industry, but he's not a computer programmer, but he would look at my math homework when he was like years younger than me. And he'd be like, well, the answer is seven. And I'm like, well, is it? He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, why? And he's like, I don't know. It just is. I'm like, well, <laughs> that doesn't, I can't just That's write seven. Helpful. Right. And like to him, he yeah. would just know, unless he didn't know, in which case it would just be like question mark. Whereas I would be much more of the talk through like, okay, well, is it this? So it's can't be this. Well, this seems important. And I would get like 80% of the way and then have to actually kind of like work some, some stuff out. Yeah. That's super interesting. And so I think for some interviewers that would like my approach would be, um, like seen well i think that's generally no i think that's generally perceived positive but i think there's definitely some i've encountered some interviewers not on, like on the other side of the table like someone that i was talking to about like have what their processes or whatever who were, was really interested in trying to actually gauge the person's raw iq like they really wanted somebody oh, really? who just was like smart in the in the like iq test way in the seven way yeah, yeah. rather than smart like i mean what does smart even mean but that is able what to think aloud like is not necessarily the thing that they're they're j- judging for so it also depends person person i've never been given the like classic joel on software mm-hmm. type question i don't think like the like how many piano tuners are there in seattle or whatever oh, actually i like those kind of qu- i'm really good at those because i did project management and stuff for a while so like estimation i'm like it, that, I, I quite enjoy those estimation ones because I think it's an interesting problem and I feel like I'm pretty good at it. It's the it's the tricky ones where it's like, oh, the curve of the, a curve of a wire going around a barrel and then you're blah, blah, blah. And like it's like a little bit of a physics thing, but it seems like it's impossible to solve it. But there's actually like enough information in the puzzle you know those are the ones that i yeah oh, i guess more. so it's like the okay so this uh there's three red-headed people here and the mother says yes. they have two sons and like which it's like i don't i actually really enjoyed those problems we mm-hmm. um when i was in elementary school we had uh my third we had, I had the same teacher for third and fourth grade mm-hmm. and she had this thing where if you had finished your work and you were just going to be sitting around bored you could go to this pile in the back of paper that, that each one was a logic problem Oh, okay. And you could take it and go to your desk and just work on that. And I love those things. And I took logic in college and I loved it. Like I like logic problems. Um, and actually at my current job, when I was interviewing, I did get sort of the kind of the thing you're talking about where it was like a really interesting, it was more job related, you know, but it was like more, uh, theoretical of like, okay, well let's say we put you in charge of this and you have to make this decision, this or this, uh what would you how would you determine what the decision was going to be right and it was really like what what he was actually trying to get me to do is explain a b testing um mm, okay and but i found that really fun and interesting um mm-hmm. but like i think i think as much as i enjoyed logic problems as a child on my own sitting at a desk if someone did that to me in an interview i fi- feel like i would be pretty like that's not a good pl- like all of those problems relied on some trick, right? It's like... Yeah, and that's the one... That's the thing that I have a lot of disdain for is the ones where it's like there's a trick and you're trying to figure out if they have high enough IQ to just... Well, it's not, it's not the really trick, like, As opposed to someone who can talk through a problem. No, well, I, I'll defend, and I'll defend the to, problem a little bit because I don't think it's... I, there are definitely problems like that, but I think the what I'm more talking about are the ones where it's like all the information's there, but it's whether or not you are... 
detail-oriented enough, I guess, would be the positive way to spin it, to see, to see like, oh, they didn't mention this, but they mentioned this, you know, and they meant, and that's why talking it out is so helpful, right? Because if mm-hmm. you do that, you're like, oh, wait, but she didn't say, I assumed that because one would assume, but actually that's not what the text says, right? Mm-hmm. And trying to figure that out. And I think that's cool, but again, I, I wouldn't want to do it in an interview. Yeah, well, and also like interviewing is like, I think over the last 10 years as an industry, we've been getting better at being thoughtful about how different people also react in different interview situations. Like Way better. I am an extrovert. And so to be in an interview situation where I'm talking to somebody and they're throwing problems at me and I'm able to talk to them about it, like that energizes me. Whereas for some people, that's like literally their worst nightmare and you're seeing them at their worst. And that's just like completely not measuring whether or not they can solve these people who listen to this podcast might be surprised to learn that I am a hard introvert. And uh, by the end of any day of interviewing, I am completely exhausted. And the people who meet me at the end of the day are going to get the weirdest answers to things sometimes. Mm -hmm. Because your brain's just been like DDoS by all the socialization. I have nothing left. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm nowhere near. I'm miles away from my best. So, yeah. Um. But yeah, I find that I find that all the that the entire category and like maybe I should actually flag this as like potential other facts is like um, categories of misreasoning. Um, the, yeah, we're on misreasoning corner. Yeah, I, f- I find that interesting. I think me too. It's it's hard it's hard to sort of inoculate yourself against it, but it is still I think a worthwhile thing to to think through uh, ways that people tend to uh, make bad decisions or think about things non clearly. Um, depending on all these various biases and stuff that we have and try and try and be more thoughtful about the world around us. Agreed. All right. Fun fact. If Back to the Future was made today, <laughs> they would go back in time to the old timey world of 1992. Yeah, this is I <laughs> I've seen this uh, and I find it a ama- It's it's so time is just such a funny thing, right? Like we're talking about things mm-hmm. that are counterintuitive. That's how you mm-hmm. relate it, by the way. That's the that's the relation. Is that like when when I, whenever I say, "Oh, it was like twenty years ago," like I think that's the seventies, yeah, right, yeah. or like the mm-hmm. you know the eighties, maybe, maybe. Yeah. and that's two thousand and one, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. like the, like the seventies was fifty years ago, yeah. or like you know nineteen seventy. So like it's it's it just doesn't and all that kind of stuff because I think about that, I'm like, oh, okay, so. My thinking that this kid wearing this Nirvana shirt from, you know, who's 14 and did never heard Nirvana from 1994, that is the equivalent of me when I was a, you know, 14 year old, you know, wearing something from whatever, like 1970 or 1960 something. It's like a Led Zeppelin shirt. It's like a Led Zeppelin shirt, right? Like I wasn't around for that. Or like my thinking that like a 60s muscle car is cool is the same thing as my dad thinking that like a you know 20s packer is cool or whatever it's yeah just like, exactly right it's it's just you know time you know and then you have these um these these people uh Kotke loves to write about them these these great span people who are like you know president tyler's great grand who's like a president of the united states in the 1700s mm. grandkids are alive Right, because, because they had such gaps. Because of... he was in his eighties when he had a kid, and then they were in their eighties when they had a kid, and yeah. then they were in their eighties. So it's just like all of this stuff is fascinating. But yeah, so night Back to the Future would be that. So the Hilltop Mall or whatever the hell they go, Lone Lone Pine, Lone Pine. That's right, because it was Two Pines. And yeah, it becomes Lone Pine because of the, or it becomes Two Pine anyway, whichever way it goes. But so that that which is a brilliant conceit, by the way. But that's. Uh, <laughs> 1992 so they'd be like going into a dahlia's and they'd be like or adelia's i mean and they or like a what's that claire's or whatever and they'd be uh you know hanging out at orange julius or whatever yeah and there'd be like like marty would be trying to like make sense of this weird world where like no one has smartphones <laughs> no one has <laughs> smartphones so he's like trump wants to text people but his phone has no service and then the, the score is like doodly, doodly. like you're like what my phone has no service like what am i gonna do and like he'd have to look something up and so he wouldn't be able to google it he'd have to like go find somebody who had like an encarta cd rom <laughs> and they're like, i got this new thing it's like an encyclopedia on the computer he's like give me that i need to like figure out how many gigawatts you need yeah. to whatever power my 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 tesla <laughs> so when he went back to the old west well yeah it would definitely be a tesla when he went back to the old west in in number three and i'm just doing this from memory because i haven't seen these movies since i was a kid but i believe he used his duck hunt skills mm, to be mm-hmm. good at trick shooting 
yeah, and now that would be like his his Call of Duty skills or, or yeah, but whatever. it wouldn't work. The Destiny. Would it work? It wouldn't work. I'm saying a light gun was a gun. Now he has controller skills. Yeah, right. Yeah. I don't know what else Murray McFly would be like confused about going back to 1992. What, what music would he? So like in 1992, what music would he end up creating? Well, he would. Like, yeah, he would go back to 1992 or something. <laughs> and the, yeah, the, the high school, the high school dance, and the band would be like playing Nirvana, and he would be like, "No, no, no! Here's something that would really knock your socks off, socks off." And it would be like. I don't know Taylor Swift or something like. That. Or would he start rapping like? Would he be? Eminem? Yeah, but that's not even that's not even now. That's like, you know, he like in, to bring it to something that was really because like in back, when Back to Future came out, him, him like shredding eighties glam metal or whatever what was like not glam metal, but like the, the kind of music he was playing wasn't really like it was relatively of the time. Yeah. I don't even know what even music. I'm too old to know what the. Oh right, be auto tune trap or like you know he's yeah he's I don't, he, I, don't I yeah I have no idea like <laughs> I've I'm uh, both too old myself and my kids are too young right like so I don't know he'd be like he'd be horrified that people are like smoking in restaurants that's right he'd be like what the what's the smoking they'd, they'd like section? go to a blockbuster to get a video. yeah he's like what wait what. Uh, Netflix would still be around. No, not 1992. Yeah. Not 1992. 1998. Yeah. Yes, 1992. Netflix is a lot older than people think. Uh, there's no Google. There's no YouTube. There's no Facebook, obviously. There's no internet. I mean, there's an internet, but there's no web. Uh, that's fascinating. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I like When I first thought of that, I'm like, my first thought was, um, huh, well, I guess just, like, times don't change as much as they used to, and so you wouldn't be able to make an interesting movie anymore. But then, like, the more I thought totally through those, some of those things, it would be it would be interesting, and I think it would be particularly interesting to people who are a bit younger than us and didn't don't remember 1992. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I saw, I, just the other day, I saw some article about some guy who is, uh, his he's obsessed with the 90s. Hmm. He was born in 98, and and really holds on to that fact, but has decorated his entire house 90s style and has like, you know, watches all his VHS tapes and has like a 90s Kenwood CD player and like has a car from the like his he's has a 90s obsession the same way that someone in our era might have had a, a you know, a 60s obsession a 60s or something obsession, yeah. and be dressed like that. And I just find that bizarre <laughs> in probably the same way that my parents probably thought the 60s stuff was bizarre. My mom was fascinated. Anytime anybody in my generation would be like wearing like shoes or jeans or anything that like called back to stuff from when yeah, she was a kid, she thought it was or something. Yeah, she thought it was like she was like she loved it. Mm, that's yeah, fascinating. She, like she thought it was funny, but like not in like a, oh I can't believe kids these days. She'd be like oh that's coming back. Oh I remember that. Oh that was ridiculous. It would probably not last very long. But yeah, oh that's funny. You know. So I don't know. That was not a. That's like you know, I don't know if that's a very scientific fact. It's it's just something that I, I thought was fun. Yeah, that's great. So building on that funness, mm -hmm. I have some follow up. Follow up, the most fun part of the show. I feel like I think it's gotten more fun. It used to be like oh, I think we've got to do some follow up. No, but I, think, but I feel like it's gotten more. It's super fun, and at the end where it belongs, as you know, as all <laughs> correct thinking, we're getting called out on some other podcasts <laughs> for our our misorder follow up. Yeah, our follow out, <laughs> our follow follow in follow back. But yeah. that particular podcast, uh, sometimes their entire episode is follow up. One arguably could say the entire podcast is follow-up in I'm some ways it is a, in fact a follow-up yeah show. i'm of it's, course it's talking about the accidental tech podcast and our good friend casey liss yeah who also actually we should link as a um we should link up their conversation from the last couple weeks about uh animal alternative that's right stuff yeah broadly. i thought it was a really good Me too. conversation that crystallized some of my thoughts that i already have on that stuff in this general like obviously there's a lot of, of uh conversation we've had around impossible yeah. and trying mm -hmm. to sub out Feels on topic uh, yeah, and then they, they went a little broader on some of the other ways that are like you know straightforward ways that you you know even if you're not going to go all vegan, which you know obviously some people do that, but there's also lots of little ways that you can just to tone it down a little, be a little nicer to the earth without having to. Yeah, it, as I think Marco says on the show, you can still have burgers, just have half as many. Yeah, 
Or just have Impossible Burgers because they're actually pretty good. Or just have Impossible Burgers because they're impossibly good. Yes. I've been eating a lot of Impossible Patties on vegan lunch sandwiches, and it's delicious. Okay, so (laughs) I would like to follow up now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is follow-up. Uh, from a long long time ago specifically Mm -hmm. i'm following up to something that you talked about on episode 20 do you remember what episode that was by name yeah well i have them all memorized that was scheming a scheme i think no that is the classic classic episode little nas 10 oh yeah one of the best titles august of 2019 yeah clearly Mm -hmm. one of our all-time best titles so um just a little bit of follow-up you talked on that episode about the what is it the 20 i should, did not write this down the 2038 problem which, which yeah that's the year when uh the way computer store time will uh overflow and we will have a uh a bit of trouble on our hands if we don't uh, update ourselves that's amazing that. that i remember 2038 correctly uh I yes that's right so here, yeah. it is yes i just checked so at least that's what you which said. is increasingly like it's 16 years away which is like Yes, again, 1992 is a long time ago. Yeah. Right. yeah. So uh, on New Year's, mm-hmm. uh, Microsoft released a new version of Exchange Server, mm-hmm. which is, I, I would say, one of the world's most used email servers, among other things, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, like many companies, Microsoft uses a date-based naming scheme. And the update was qu- quite appropriately named 22010101. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. January 1st. 2022 first release right Mm -hmm. but when sysadmins installed it and tried to restart their exchange servers after the update they all failed with an error saying cannot convert 22010101 to long and that is because microsoft is using a signed in 32 to store the data value in some scanning code part of exchange Hmm. And therefore, the maximum value it can store is 21, 47, 48, 36, 47. Right. Yeah, 2 billion, 147 million. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, as you might have noticed, is smaller than 22 anything. Right? Yeah. So it tries to read it and it overflows. Right. So about 22. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, I have two funny, funny things about this, besides the fact that it's yet another example of the. It's amazing to me that even now we're still making the same error. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, let's let's find a new problem, people. But. So as a stopgap solution, first of all, Microsoft apparently told sysadmins to disable malware scanning. Which yeah, that's always a good start. Seems bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so now they do have a patch out. But my favorite part is that apparently uh, actually fixing the problem, it would be very, very hard to do quickly. And obviously they need to get everyone back up and running. So the solution that they rolled out was that they just released a new version with a new version number. With a lower number. Yeah. Of no of twenty one twelve thirty three zero 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 one. So, at least for exchange, it's officially the thirty third of December twenty twenty one. Um, because the number, the version number, needs to be less than two billion. Uh, 147 million and i know that number really well not because i'm a programmer and i've worked with uh many computer uh software over the years that can't store uh any number larger than 2 billion 147 million without having problems but because when i was a kid i played a game that was like one of the very early web-based games where you could accumulate money in the game and we got good at the game and we were Dinging around and stuff like that, but we found that you couldn't make more than two billion one hundred forty-seven mm. million. That was the most money that you could make. Um, and a lot of the strategies, because there was like you would bid against other players for things and stuff like that. And if you any action you took in the game that tried to make you earn more than two billion one hundred forty-seven million total would just do nothing. And so the bunch of the strategy of the game weirdly accidentally ended up being how do you asymptotically approach two billion one hundred forty-seven million, and then you could win a bid as like the the winner would be the person who bids the closest to, to, to that number to two billion one hundred forty-seven million four hundred eighty-three thousand six hundred forty-seven. Yeah, exactly. And That's so amazing. if you really were spending extra time and really just getting closer and closer and closer to it, then it was kind of like having extra money in the bidding system, at least, because people couldn't outbid you because they would only have like $2,120,000,000 yeah. or whatever. Um that's so awesome. that's like burned into my mind. Anytime I see 2.147 billion in any computer system, my brain is just immediately like, oh, I, this is not a real number. This like something has gone wrong and I immediately recognize it. What's fascinating, too, is that if they had just used a uh, unsigned int, mm, they would get twice as long. They would get. Yeah, they'd get to f- the year 42 something or whatever, and they wouldn't have this problem at all. And it's just I just I just find it fascinating. I'm sure that that's just the 
default behavior of an int on whatever compiler they wrote it on but like yeah it's not like somebody actually spent time and they're like hmm should i use assigned or should i do it unsigned or whatever they just typed they just typed in the number and it just stored it in the default like no yeah and because it was probably you know 2013 when they did that or something they were just like oh yeah this works yeah and they didn't no one they didn't even think about it so i also like fast follow-up 20 the year 2048 is not 16 years from now it's 26 years from now so but it's 2038 that we're worried about oh it's 2038 or 2048 2038 Okay, then, then, yeah, that is 16. So, <laughs> self follow up, 24 to 30. And, like, yeah, 16 years from now seems like a long time. But if we look back 16 years, that's only the year 2006. And there's definitely software running from 2006 that has com- not been modified. I realize now why the year 2038 is uh, probably partially why it's burned into my brain, or at least that, that era, generally speaking. Uh, I think the year 2037 might be more... Uh, burned in my brain but it's because uh, at when we signed when my son was born we signed him up for uh, (laughs) our health insurance and Mm -hmm. and they were like you're responsible for this person until the year 2037 and i was like do you agree oh my god (laughs) what the hell yeah but to your point that's not actually that far from now yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when you, like I say, when you look back, or at least when you're like in our age range, where you're in your 30s, and then you think yeah. back to like 16 years ago, you're like, yeah, 2006. That's like a totally normal year. That like, yeah, yeah that wasn't perfectly, that ago. perfectly reasonable. It wasn't 16 years ago. Obviously. No, that wasn't. It was, no, no. <laughs> it just, I mean, you know, friendships. It, you start to think about how long you've known people, and mm-hmm. yeah, we are. We're solidly, uh, you know, over the hill. <laughs> we're not middle-aged but we're like we are I in i a might middle. be middle-aged i don't what, late 30s middle-aged i'm 40 you're 40 i'm about to I turn 41 that. i knew that you were 40 yeah i wish yeah. i'm pretty sure I, i'm like 99 sure i wish you a happy 40th birthday i'm 99 sure as well yeah. yeah i turned 41 in 11 days it's so. middle-aged 40 45 i don't know I feel like 45 45 let's say 45 i feel 45 yeah to 60 is middle age. I'm going to say that. Yeah. I'm comfortable with that. Because it makes me feel good. <laughs> That's how it works. Actually, according to Wikipedia, it's uh, some sources place it for between 45 and 65. So, okay. Yeah. So I'm not so far off. I feel, I feel pretty good about that. But I'm creeping. Yeah. I'm creeping mm-hmm. up on it, getting mm-hmm. close. So, all right. Well, on that depressing note about my impending <laughs> doom. <laughs> We're making the best of it. We, that's right. I will not be here next month, so have fun. Yes. So we'll have a, a excellent special guest, which I'm excited yeah. for. Yeah, and I'm we, excited. We'll have a lot of fun. I want you all to know out there, I don't know who it is either, so I'm excited to find that out with you all. Yeah, I, I gave Eric the option of finding out, and he was like, oh, it'll be a surprise. So Yeah, it's nice to have a surprise, and I really enjoyed it the last time because I don't get to listen to this podcast uh, in that way very often. Yeah, to hear it, like, fresh, you know? Yeah, to be like, oh, I don't know what's going to be said. Yeah. Yeah.